This is Richard Codd for Art Talks, and thank you very much for joining us here today. We have a, a fun show in the studio. I have the owner, publisher, and editor of the Moab Sun News to talk about a whole variety of things happening here in Moab. And also, later on, I did an interview with Chloe Wilson up at USU on Friday about their new welding program. So, before I start the show, I just wanted to again announce that our Radiothon has just ended on Saturday. And if you didn't have the opportunity uh, to make a donation, please, there is still time to do that. And you can go online, kzmu.org, and if you can give $5, $10, $25, if you can be a sustaining member, uh, that would be terrific as well. And there's also, um, if depending on what you can contribute, what level uh, you want to participate in, there's some swag here that um, you can purchase or Based on your donation, you may even qualify for one of the gifts. So again, please consider that. Uh, and you can also call us at 435-259-5968. So let's start the show today by welcoming Maggie McGuire. Welcome, Maggie. Hey, Richard. How's it going? Good. How are you today? I'm wonderful. It really feels like summer out there. It finally does. I, I'm kind of thinking that our spring in Moab anymore hmm. is just windy, a little <laughs> gray, and that's it, 50 degrees. Yeah, you have to define spring a little differently. Yeah, and but so finally it, it is nice, uh, mm -hmm. and things are beginning to green up. Yeah, this is the glorious season where it's like warm, but you can still wear jeans. True. Love this. Hey, so what I want to talk about is um, the sun in general mm -hmm. and art, its, it's mm -hmm. relationship to the arts community, and you as well. How did you end up in Moab? Tell us a little bit about yourself. Well, everything sounds very intentional in retrospect, doesn't it? Oh. <laughs> it all sounds like a logical story. But if think if you asked me, you know, ten or fifteen years ago, this is this is not what I would have guessed. But I have a background in silk screening and printmaking and arts and culture, primarily. Um, and so this turn into business is a bit of a surprise but actually it's really wonderful because the um the sun is so rooted in community events and arts and culture that it's it's not as much of a change as you might think tell, tell me about your background mm -hmm. in detroit yeah so i grew up in detroit um my parents were both a, i was a writer and a photographer i grew up with um and they worked in newspapers um, and doing um, PR photography, so media um, and media consumption and media criticism was a giant thing in our household. Um, you know, this was not a house where we just watched movies. We watched movies and then, you know, tore them apart and thought about how they could be rewritten and, you know, knew the names of all of the actors and the cinematographers, you okay. know. Um, okay, okay. 
So with that, in college, I studied film analysis. Um, my thesis was actually on the animal rights critique of um, cannibal movies. So like Texas oh. Chainsaw Massacre right. and Hills Have Eyes and Motel Hell is another one. Um, you mean so we, we didn't mm-hmm. just chop all those little animals <laughs> up and all the blood and guts or, or yeah like texas chainsaw massacre yeah the family that are the cannibals yeah are um within the movie they're identified as being old slaughterhouse workers so the movie oh. kind of is putting forth the idea that for at least this family humans or animals that that line doesn't exist oh okay. and other other movies that are, are like kind of about cannibals do different things with that and so mm. that's one of the things that that i covered um so again kind of coming mm. at media and art but from like a more uh critical angle I, and and i guess dealing with those monsters mm. and 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 things like that yeah. that prepared you for moab <laughs> right well, well yeah. maybe, maybe not that kind of context. I mean, I think it is, it's good for any sort of reporter or journalist or honestly anyone who just wants to tell a, a good story to be able to look at an existing narrative and be able to like turn it turn it on its head or mm-hmm. what's a different angle on mm-hmm. this mm-hmm. or you know what are what parts are being left out so that kind of analysis being able to right. look at something that could be a simple point a to point b and and try to to see what else what other kind of juice you could squeeze from it i right. think that's a really valuable skill in in the industry i ended up in well yeah because isn't journalism and newspapers it, it's always about finding out more or what's the angle Mm -hmm. what's behind it yeah yeah absolutely good good journalism and for a lot of people the the interesting thing is when you think about um your audience there's there's two different people right there's the reporter and there's the audience and what is the the relationship between them how much does how much more should a reporter know than the audience knows you know, um, I work with a lot of reporters, and one of the things that I always say, uh, you see beginning writers really want to um, become experts at a subject or know every detail of something that they're writing about. And for me, uh, I think that the best thing for a reporter or for a journalist, especially a community reporter, is just to know a little bit more <laughs> than the the reader. You know, mm. you want to be like the friend who knows uh, uh, just a little bit more and is able to say like, well, actually, like kind of this and that. Try to think about it this way. When you know too much more, you're going to have problems explaining things in a in an approachable or relatable way. Or, or bring a bias to mm-hmm. the answer. Sure. Because you just read something. Yeah. And maybe. Yeah. Yeah, uh, there'll always be a bias, but I think you're totally right. that um, The bias that irritates me the most is when you read something and you can tell that someone wants to primarily tell you that they know a lot <laughs> mm, <laughs> you know and mm. and that i'm not as interested in i'm interested in an in, a, a cool story and, and learning some um new facts and being able to relate to my area in a new way mm-hmm. um you know everyone thinks that they know a lot so that's mm-hmm. that's not mm-hmm. the message that we ever want to get across mm-hmm. in our stories but like you said you mm-hmm. all the reporter should also be able to know 
enough about the subject to ask informed questions. Yes. Right. Yes, that it is less about the factual knowledge or the, what would you say, the area knowledge, and more about the process, Mm -hmm. the process of how to ask a good question, the process of how to um, listen really closely to something that someone is saying um, and try to like think about what are the motives here, uh, who is going to potentially be impacted by this, what's the history, what's the future, all of these really interesting questions. Um, those are just habits. Those mm-hmm. are habits mm-hmm. of asking those questions. You know, and, and as you were saying, I was thinking w- when I did my show a couple years ago mm-hmm. on violin making. Oh. I I have no idea how you make a violin. I know it's a couple of pieces of wood slapped together, mm. you know, and you have some tight strings on it and <laughs> bing bing bing, you know, you can play. Yeah. But there's a lot more to it. But but I did I looked up luthiers what mm-hmm. and got a little background and got to know a little bit of the cities in Italy and Germany where they're yeah. made and then I went and interviewed the owner and it helped me doing that and again as i said i knew nothing going in mm-hmm. just to know uh, uh, the types of issues maybe that they deal with mm-hmm. the, so yeah absolutely i mean part of what's kind of interesting in in doing interviews like you do like mm-hmm. i do like our reporters do is that it is sort of just a life skill that um helps you in a bunch of different ways is that ability to kind of do that critical thinking, you know, right, and, right. you know, think about like, okay, well, how much research should I do to be able to put this in, in context, I guess, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and that to me is like the joy of life is being able to put, to link more and more things in a l- huge web that lives inside your head you know what i mean not to get too far out richard <laughs> but you know what i'm saying like that is something that is deeply enriching for um i would say anyone's personal life but also you know thinking about the newspaper i think that that is the most important thing by far that um, a community newspaper or media of any type does for a community is help link these little disparate people and places and things, events and businesses and stories together and give you like this rich web of what life is like in this town at this time. Mm -hmm. In case you just joined us and you're wondering who you're listening to, you're listening to KZMU and it's Art Talks and you we are on 90.1 or 106.7, and we're on the Internet. If you have found us on a different station, that's great, too. It means somehow we usurped their signal. But don't worry <laughs> about that. We're, we're working on that. So, so, so anyway, uh, getting back to what we're talking, how long have you owned The Sun? A little over two years now. Two years. Mm-hmm. Okay. And what are your biggest challenges? Mm-hmm. You did, you were with them before yes, yes. as a reporter. As a, I, yes, I was a reporter briefly, and then I was the editor for maybe a little over a year. Right. Um, and then I uh, had the opportunity to, to purchase the business mm-hmm. outright. And by that point, I thought I knew the business inside and out. Yeah. But there's always more. So the last two years for me, like personally and for the business, has been 
you know, going through our our systems, you know, sort of the, the nuts and bolts of the way that we do things um, and really taking a hard look at that. I'm a big fan of, of operational thinking and kind of making sure that everything moves really um, swiftly and pretty slick. Um, so I've, I've really enjoyed doing that. And then, you know, for the, the paper itself that, that our readers see, you know, um, the last two years have been a, hmm, what would I say? A, a series of things that we've, uh, of experiments mm-hmm. that we've put out and tried to get reader feedback back about, um, you know, our print edition, we're primarily print. Right. Um, we have a, a lovely website, I would say. But, um, you know, with all of the news around um, the sort of like the death of print media, you know, uh, quote unquote, um, and also the, the struggles that um, some newspapers and like legacy journalism in general have been having, you know, um, print here in Moab is is quite is thriving, which mm-hmm. is lovely. So. We and how do you, and how when when you say print mm-hmm. in Moab, yeah. are you are you talking about the Sun, the Times, yeah, yeah, uh, Moab happenings? Yeah, I would say so. The, All of those, mm-hmm. you know, even like the real estate magazine, these sort of like um, even the, the uh, like kind of the more ephemeral, right, right, you know, right. um, because you know I personally think that all all of those things kind of combine to again kind of create that that rich tapestry all of that stuff feeds off of it each other um you know like for instance um a lot of newspapers when they began struggling with um with finances because you know the decrease in advertising some covid all of these different like big systemic reasons a lot of them looked at their budgets and said well printing is our highest cost which it definitely is. Um, and so they, they cut back on printing and they tried to just put everything online. I think that's really interesting because that's logical, mm-hmm. you know? Um, the articles that we write are, are really good, but I've always felt really strongly that there was something lost when you took a newspaper and divided it up just into the articles, that there's something... Um, greater than the sum of its parts when you hold a paper because you're seeing not just the the information, but you're seeing the combination of all of the different articles. And like I say, it's a snapshot of, of the place and time. Yeah, you know, I, we've talked about that in mm-hmm. the past. And I am of the generation where cities had afternoon editions especially in new york the east coast i'm from new jersey and there was there were evening editions Mm -hmm. as i said afternoon editions of course morning Mm -hmm. and one by one you know they started to drop and and i understand you know television grew Mm -hmm. but i'm glad you touched on the decline of print medium Mm -hmm. media I do miss that having the New York Times mm-hmm. in front of me, getting ink on my hand, on my fingers. But as you said, you, you're reading an article of a topic. Maybe it maybe it's about a new a new business venture, and you're curious mm-hmm. about it. And then, completely unrelated to that topic, there's another story about an issue that you oh and. It, catches your eye and you say geez you know i was wondering and it 
you would never have looked up that article that now is drawing your interest in more and more. Yes. I think I think we miss that because we are so we're compartmentalizing our information. Mm-hmm. How can we deal with that? I could not be like nodding any harder. <laughs> I know, I know, I know. I, I was looking over. It's like this is a new bobblehead edition. Yeah, yeah. yeah the Maggie McGuire. Well, I just think it's really head. that's why like journalism um, and newspapers specifically. Are, are, it's so interesting because I personally think that there was sort of an understandable misunderstanding of what the product was, what the mm. role of this thing was. We looked at it and we said, well, this is just to get good quality information from point A to the to the consumer, which of course it is like, you know, but then we kind of were reductive and it became only that mm-hmm. only, you know, this this idea of all capitals, like high quality journalism. And it's, you know, uh, uh, very uh, uh, highbrow and very important. Um, and of course, like I'm not putting that down, that has a giant role in society. But I think that that has really obscured what you're you're talking about which is the role of, of community building and that that stumbling upon information which again is is community building frankly um you know i i feel super super strongly about that that this that is something you know uh, uh before we started taping we touched a little bit on the issue of of trust mm. in journalism and i think that um, you know, a lot has been written about the the perceived decline in in um, readers' trust in, yeah. in print media or legacy journalism, right? Or, or mm-hmm. um, Fox News now sure, is, yeah. is having is dealing with issues uh, regarding some of their reporting. Yeah, 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 and you know, it's interesting because most newspapers um, started and actually, uh, are, you know, are are awesome historic competitors the the times a lot of these um historic newspapers started from roots that we don't really acknowledge anymore which were they were community boosters they were for telling people this is an awesome community you should live here you should come here um kind of uh, trying to jumpstart the local economy in these these um uh, it, particularly in the West, in these these burgeoning communities, you know. Um, so the idea of like bias, they were like, "Yeah, it's bias. That's why I started a paper." Like it's a, that's the point, you know. And I'm 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 laughing as you're telling me this story because I remember too in some of the journalism was not always mm-hmm. fact based, mm-hmm. and, and and maybe we're coming back to some of our roots. Yeah, S- some stories mm-hmm. in newspapers were basically made up. They got yeah, some information yeah. about somebody who may be traveling cross-country, mm-hmm. and they may say they were delayed by snowstorms in Montana, having no totally, idea they were yeah. tied up, just assuming everybody yes. else was. So, Yes, totally. Our idea that uh, we're discussing, you know, or, or that um, kind of people write stories saying like, oh, it's so terrible that this era of extremely high quality journalism with no bias that was well researched. And I was like, when was that era? <laughs> I don't like. And yeah. that's not to say that that's not a worthy goal, but it's just to say that perhaps um, the news industry 
on the whole, overpromised mm. a little bit. Mm. Um, you know, journalists and news outlets, these are all, you know, organizations run by humans. Um, and, you know, while you can be devoted to truth, truth is obviously a really slippery thing. Yeah. Um, so if that's all you're devoted to, you're going to get yourself in a lot of rhetorical problems. Mm. You know, um, I think that that's something that goes in the the mix. Is it, you know, it's a, it's a pillar, it's a platform, but there are other pillars as well. And, you know, truthiness. Is, uh, that, is that what you're saying? No, I oh, hate truthiness. Oh, 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 okay. No, I'm just saying that um, you better have a be- a, a, a reason to write a story mm-hmm. more than your, your belief that it is true. Um, you know, uh, and that's, you know, where the kind of interesting conversation about bias comes from. Here's a, here's an example is, you know, um, I think that when we talk about truth too much, we're ignoring um, stories that are interesting and emotionally important and important to communities. You know, our whole paper could be um, if we were thinking about like, well, what do we want to write that's true and that's really um, high status and is really um, important in a in a really narrow sense of the mm-hmm. word and you know it could all be like local government which we we cover really thoroughly mm-hmm. um but that's when you looked at that paper it wouldn't be telling you the whole story of what it is to live in moab right now right so is that true i would say it's a very limited version of the truth do you think people have always compartmentalized the information that they read, Mm. draw from. For example, you always watch NBC News. Mm -hmm. You always watch CBS News. And and now with the the internet and everybody recording different Mm -hmm. shows to watch later, is, is that helping or hurting our news programming? Yeah. Or how we get information? I mean, I think that's a fascinating question because, you know, very well-educated and, you know, intelligent people argue completely the opposite um, positions on, I would say, precisely that issue. Um, You know, I've read studies where, you know, people who self-reported saying, like, I don't trust the news very much when... um, Oh, I think this was maybe Nielsen. I'm, I'm mm-hmm. not going to be able to remember the exact mm-hmm. one, but if anyone really is hot for media, email me and I'll get you the citation. Mm-hmm. But um, they had asked these people who had said, well, I don't really trust media. And then they examined what their actual like media consumption habits were. Um, and these were people who, when they watched um, TV news, they had like an iPad and started looking up like, oh, well, that that story sounds weird. I'm going to like Google that. And like, I'm going to look at a couple of other articles. And um, this particular study was saying that like it was a negative because it demonstrated that these people didn't trust the first program. But for me, I'm like, that sounds great. (laughs) I think that's, I I would think that as well. So there's two things going on here. And one is like, yeah, sure. People don't trust the, um, complete 
veracity of a single news source anymore. Um, and they do turn to multiple news sources to kind of compare and contrast and, and frankly, often to find the one that kind of, you know, meets their emotional well, needs. Well, yeah. But, you know, for papers and for legacy journalism, uh, and I don't mean to like put this down because it is very important. Um, it is difficult because while that might be better critical thinking, it's really um, bad for the bottom line. And and newspapers are our businesses, you know, oh, sure. uh, and that's sort of a really difficult um, a, a point of friction, you know, is that, you know, who is who's going to say, like, well, everyone should give me their money because we have the best version of the truth. You know, mm-hmm. like it's it's kind of a silly, silly thing. So there's like a, a real um, tidal wave of change coming through media where, you know, people are asking, like, hey, news is it is this a commodity should you pay for news or should news be a thing that um is more free-flowing you know there are the salt lake tribune you know i i think it's utah's biggest paper um maybe the deseret but but i think they're neck and neck Mm -hmm. um they, you know, in the last, I think, year and a half, two years, um, are the first major newspaper to um, completely transfer to being a nonprofit, right. which I think is really fascinating. Right. It's an experiment, but they kind of took the, the tack that they said, like, news can't be just for rich people. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. <laughs> news can't just mm-hmm. be for people who pay for it, because then then we really are in trouble if we think about news and its interaction with, with democracy. You know, I was, I was thinking while you were talking about that, the different biases. I know if I buy the Wall Street Journal, their editorial page has a particular slant. Mm-hmm. Same thing with the New York Times or I'm sure the Detroit Free Press, sure. any newspaper, uh, Fox News, MSNBC. Do you think that those papers and news stations – do they go into something saying, this is how we're reporting that? Mm-hmm. You know. <laughs> or is there anybody like, out there like CNN? Is there uh-huh. anybody, Al Jazeera, are, are mm-hmm. they doing pretty unbiased reporting? Well, I mean, I think that we use the term bias in like pretty wild I know, ways. You Don't were, you think? Yeah. Yeah. Because like some, some, um, some bias is frankly just beliefs. And, you know, are mm-hmm. we to say that, you know, someone who's uh, covering something um, that they think is important based on their belief system mm-hmm. and they choose to cover it? Like, is that bias? Like, yeah. But is that could we ever get away from that? Like, no, I don't think so. So, yeah, I agree with you. I knowing that, OK, the, hey, the Wall Street Journal overall in um, the stories that it's choosing and the people that mm-hmm. it's choosing to quote is overall going to have like maybe a slant towards right. these beliefs. Mm-hmm. Um, personally, um, that's not something I want to get like Henny Penny, the sky is falling about. I think that that's like, that that's good, frankly, that, you know, we would know yeah. that, you know, one of the things that I say um, running the sun is that there have been stories um, locally, particularly like crime, I would say, is a, is a good example of crime right. stories um, where people have asked me, like, um, why aren't you covering this more? Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. I feel really strongly about this. Right. Um, and we do cover, of course, crime issues sure. when they we consider them to rise to the level of um, public safety issues. Mm-hmm. Um, but I it took me a long time to realize that I could just say <laughs> confidently where I'm like, we don't prioritize covering crime. 
it's just not something you know like mm-hmm. we have the whole world <laughs> well you have to pick and choose you have to pick you, and choose you, you don't is have, that bias you don't you know? have the resources to have you know mm-hmm. a thousand uh, sure yeah you know reporters in case you just joined us you're listening to art talks on kzmu and today's show isn't discussing too much art yet <laughs> yet we're going to be moving into that we're talking with the owner editor publisher a sometimes reporter <laughs> of the moab sun news and we're with maggie mcguire so um let's shift gears mm-hmm. and talk art in moab love it you know there were a couple of things that that just happened that I wanted to to bring up, and you know probably what I'm going to talk about. It's being referred to as the incident at Potato Hill. <laughs> <laughs> Something with Jeep Week. No, so, so tell me about that. I know. I'm glad that you're giving what, what me an that? opportunity yeah, to yeah. talk about this, actually, because we didn't— we What didn't... was it, and what mm. happened to it? So a joke that's been— or, a amusing idea, mm-hmm. I guess, is a good phrase. An amusing idea that um, my partner Sam Newman um, and you know some people had been talking about for for a couple of years was the idea of for Moab Jeep Week, which is you know Easter Jeep Safari, uh, uh, such a long-standing cornerstone of of um, Moab's uh, travel community and kind of it's how you tell time. That's how the season starts. It's, Easter Jeep Safari right. um, is building um, like cardboard Jeeps or doing something like that. And so this year it finally happened. Um, and I'm glad you gave me a chance to talk about this because we, we didn't actually cover it in the paper. How unfair I know, is I know. that? It's terrible. If it was anyone else other than my partner, I, I would have. But I just he, he, he got um, discriminated against. Wow. Unfortunately. I wow. know. I wow. know. Tragic. But that Jeep. Mm-hmm. What you made it? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you know, about over about three or four days. Um, I think about I would say maybe twenty twenty five people overall contributed to it. So it is a full scale um, Jeep Wrangler, uh-huh. um, bright red, uh, and it is made of like light plywood and um, cardboard. And folks came and. Uh, all kind of independently crafted. It's got a little uh, a scuba uh, engine. Uh, it's got oh, it's uh, great. traction plates. It's got all of the, the accoutrement. Plate. License plate. It has some bullet holes in it. <laughs> it was so clever. It's really fun. And 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 it didn't have horsepower. <laughs> How did it move? Oh man! So it is a shell. It has no wheels. Um, and it moves just by people um, picking it up. Uh, there was a, a system made with climbing harnesses to to wow. lift the Jeep. Um, and then there's just cute little skinny biker's legs sticking out the bottom. I know. Um, and uh, usually I think that the, the sweet spot was, was six to eight people inside uh, of it. Mm-hmm. Well, we have a few, a few minutes left. And, and I really I wanted to talk more about art in in Moab mm-hmm. and it's a topic that I've been interested in I want to explore it more in the coming months mm-hmm. and I've had a couple people on talk Christy Dutton Williams who is here and some others talking about where is Moab going with mm-hmm. its art and I want to 
look at that in the coming months. Yeah. You have maybe have some guests come on and talk about it and have some kind of special event. Mm. And the whole talk revolves around a, an article that appeared in the Times Independent about mm-hmm. 17 years ago about where will it be the next Santa oh, Fe, sure, sure. you know, something like that. And obviously we're not. And <laughs> will we? Do we want to be? Mm-hmm. But I wanted to ask you because you see so much of the art events that are going on in town. And by art, I, I don't just mean sure. painting. I mean music. And wh- What do you think? Where, where, what do you think about the arts community in Moab? Is it thriving? Yeah, you know, I think if we're defining the arts community by people who are doing creative things, the creative culture of of a city, I think that there's a lot happening here. I think that, you know, what's not happening here, probably for a lot of reasons, um, you know, we're pretty isolated. Um, the particular kind of travelers that come through here is that, that um, the professional level of of art Mm -hmm. i think that's what i think people are a little surprised has like failed to to thrive you know the the being able to um completely make your living off fine art i suppose right right. um but you know i know so many um photographers and people who are doing creative things um you know even as as little as you know we just wrote a piece about uh you know desert thread the yarn shop here as you know a little stitch night where like people come and they like are able to talk about fiber arts and things like that. And that's really cool. Yeah. Um, you know, it's not maybe impacting the the economics of the town, but, (laughs) but it still is that kind of, um, creative spirit, I think. Yeah. And, and I think we're not aware of maybe because we don't have the big on street events Mm -hmm. where I've talked to a number of artists and they're doing quite well yes. selling yeah. stuff online. Mm-hmm. So we know our artists have reputations mm-hmm. throughout uh, Utah, the Southeast, and people buy. You know, they were on vacation. They go. Yeah. They go back somewhere, and they oh, I remember that. And they go online. They buy somebody's painting. Right. Yeah. So w- will we be the? Um, Santa Fe or the Taos or that I don't know and and maybe we won't and and maybe it's gonna maybe it's more of a local community type art these special Mm -hmm. um, events that happen like yours just did yeah and I'll even point out, like, you know, a lot of local artists, you know, again, when we think of the arts community, we're going to think of, like, galleries. Right. Um, maybe murals, which we do have those. Right. Um, but those sort of events. But, you know, really a lot of what you're saying, the local artists who are thriving, you know, you should be looking in the T-shirt shops. And we kind of deride that as being too commercial. Right. But those are those are working local artists who yeah. are supporting yeah. themselves. Yeah. And yeah. God knows we got a lot of designed t-shirts <laughs> yeah so, and you know i had just said special events mm-hmm. i think there are opportunities for us to explore like um uranium days yeah. which yeah. don't happen anymore maybe we there's a new spin on that that mm-hmm. can happen the trash and show was just very successful yes i think uh, that's a great example of something that shows that there's like a clear um hunger for that kind of thing. So that's, I, I think, 
maybe that's where we're going to go. Mm-hmm. Local mm-hmm. found events. Yeah. Pop-up activities. Absolutely. And that's the kind of stuff that, you know, if you even if you are th- looking at the economic bottom line, you know, right. being as crass as all that, that's that's where you get it from is, mm-hmm. you know, coming from Detroit, um, you know, yeah. we you know, just started having like the bubblings of people doing like kind of like cool independent art things. And man, did gentrification happen (laughs) way sooner than you would think. The minute that people hear, oh, they're doing cool, small, hip events. Oh, man. But I I do. I'm excited by that. And I just love every time that someone does have an event like that. Um, I would say uh, uh, bread, uh, bread and puppets last year. Yeah. When they came to town. Man, you just see the whole town like light up with interest. So it's it is a wonderful thing. I do hope we see more of. And and for some reason, I think we will. And uh, I want to thank you, Maggie, so much for joining us here today on KZMU and oh, Art Talks. It is always such a pleasure to talk to you, Richard, especially about art and Moab. Well, thank you, and I'll see you around the campus. I better. All right. Next up is my interview with Chloe Wilson, who is now the welding instructor at USU. Let's have a nice welcome for Chloe. Welcome, Chloe. Thank you, Richard. I'm excited to be here. Yeah, yeah. So um, tell me a little bit about yourself. How did you end up in Moab? Yeah, great question. So I actually... I was raised in Springville, um, Utah County. Mm-hmm. I attended high school there, and I started welding in high school and just completely fell in love with it. I've always been creative. I've always enjoyed making things. I would mm-hmm. make Barbie dresses for my Barbies when I was little and then went on to make prom and homecoming dresses for myself. Uh-huh. Um, and so I've always been very creative, and welding just sparked a new interest in making things with a different medium. And I went on to um, pursue my degree in welding in Price and Mm -hmm. then worked in the industry in Salt Lake for a few years. And then actually one of my previous welding instructors from Price reached out to me and told me about this opening here in Moab and thought that I would be a good fit for it. Oh, cool. And and you were also doing not only welding um, in, in your career, you've also done some things on Etsy. Yeah, yeah. What was that? So I started my Etsy shop when I was 15 years old. My dad has run his own business for years and years and years and encouraged me to start mine as well. Um, He recognized that creativity and the entrepreneurial spark in me um, and wanted me to have an outlet for it. So I started an Etsy shop when I was 15. And then by the time I was 16, I had customers in over 30 states, three different countries, had partnered with a lot of bloggers, was having my product products featured all over. Oh, geez. Um, And then when I moved to Salt Lake, I continued to run that business on the side and still have products in stores up there. Well, good for you. Yeah. So um, we're here to talk about welding. Mm -hmm. And welding seems to be the new sexy topic here in Moab. Yeah. Uh, So what what do you teach here? Yeah. So currently I'm teaching beginning TIG, fabrication, and blueprint reading. what, What is TIG? That's a good question. Um, It's my favorite type of welding process. So in one hand, you have a torch, which is heating your metal and melting it. Right. In the other hand, you're feeding wire into your welding pool um, manually. And then with your foot, you're controlling a foot pedal, which controls amperage, which controls the heat of your puddle. So 
Oh, okay. Yeah. I, and so t tell me about the programs um, that are offered. Are they semester long or, or how are they structured? Great question. So we have a certificate of completion, um, which is 23 credit hours of welding and nine of general education. We also have a certificate of proficiency, um, which is nine or 16 credit hours of welding and then a handful of general ed education um, courses. Uh -huh. So you can come get both certificates here at the Moab campus. And mm -hmm. then if you want to pursue further education in welding, then we have a Price campus that has expanded course offerings. So you can get a welding degree there. And then if you want to pursue further education, Weber State has a really good bachelor's in welding engineering program. Okay. So to. if... so. Basically, if I take your welding class, hopefully after two years or however long that, that program is, mm -hmm. I can find a job uh, using some of those skills. Yeah, absolutely. We Here we lay the foundation. So we teach mm -hmm. about metallurgy. We teach how to set up a machine, basic troubleshooting, basic skill sets, how to use shop equipment. Mm -hmm. Um, so you should be able to walk into a shop with a really good foundation for what you need to work in any welding shop. Well, who who would hire a welder here in Moab? Great question. Um, we have partnerships with several several local shops, and based on their workload, um, not all of them are hiring right now. Mm -hmm. A few that we're aware of that we've worked with previously have been Eddie Line Welding, which specializes in river rafting equipment. Mm -hmm. um, and aluminum, and they're here in town. They've been really wonderful, donated metal to our program. Our students went on a field trip there a couple weeks ago. Mm -hmm. And then Kurt's Fabrication Shop, Kurt's Welding, um, is another shop here in Moab that has donated metal. Our students have um, gone on a field trip there. He's been a great partner to this program. And oh. then Moab Metalworks as well here in Moab. Okay, and what are the students expected to learn when they come here? Yeah, great question. Basic fabrication techniques, basic mm -hmm. welding techniques. I like to think that the most important part of my job is teaching them how to problem solve mm -hmm. and critical thinking because mm -hmm. when the rubber meets the road, when they go out and start a career in welding, that's going to be the most important thing. Mm. And t tell me, in the newspapers, I've seen a, a number of stories. You've, you've been featured in Moeb Sun and the Times Independent. Mm -hmm. um, about women in welding and tell me about that yeah so that's a workshop that just wrapped up last week hugely successful I had so much fun running it um, it was four Fridays in a row two hours per Friday and there were two sessions so the first class was four students second class was eight students um, and my husband Kiefer who's a welder here in Moab as well helps me run the second one with the eight students and we just had women come in here and learn the basics of welding and fabrication. And at the end of it, they got to build their own project and take it home with them. And I thought it was going to be a really wonderful workshop, but it completely, it, like, it was so incredible and so successful. And just watching these women come in here and do something that they've been wanting to do and in, have been interested in and wanting exposure to an education in for so long and watching them come in here and make friends and empower each other and uplift each other and build together and learn together it was so so incredible for me yeah like i there the welding industry is 90 to 95 percent men that's the amount of professional welders that are men. Right. And so women don't have a lot of 
access to this industry like they don't see themselves represented that they don't there's not a lot of female welding mentors out there mm. and so my hope for this workshop was to just expand access and make it less intimidating for women to come here and learn the basics of welding and fabrication mm. and i heard a lot of feedback from my students that having it be all women um made it like way more accessible and way more into way less intimidating for them uh, that's interesting, but I guess I guess that's true in many fields where you you have s specialized programs for for different groups. Yeah, absolutely. One, one of the things that you've talked about is uh, diversity and inclusivity, and how do you how are you going about that? That's a great question. The workshops are a really good start um, by get specifically giving women access um, to the welding industry here and by creating a space specifically for women at the school. That's very important to me. Um, also in our recruiting practices, we reach out to a lot of diverse groups. Um, we, we have a um, campus in Blanding and that serves a, like a large indigenous population. Okay. And so we would like to serve more indigenous populations here in Moab as well. We think that's very important. Now, th these, these programs are all offered through the U, right? Now, Through Utah State University. Through, uh, yeah, I'm sorry. I say, You're fine. I, I say the U. Uh, but if someone wants to take a class, but they don't have the financial resources, mm -hmm. what, what can uh, USU do to help them? That's such a good question. And I want to talk first about our tuition. Currently, we okay. have the cheapest tech ed tuition in the state. And by the way, cheap doesn't mean you're getting a low quality education here, but it's very affordable. So currently our tech ed tuition is $98 per credit hour for the 23-24 school year. So that means if they come in here and take the welding sculpture class, that's $300 for the entire semester mm. if it's not subsidized at all. We also have a lot of scholarships available, especially for tech ed, CTE students. And this past semester, I made all of my students apply for the CTE scholarship in class so that I could make sure that every single person got funding. So all of my students were able to get scholarships this semester. Oh, wow. And we have a lot available. Oh, that's really good. Mm -hmm. When the students come in, what do they take away? Like, what, what do they focus on a project or... Or is it more teaching different skills? Yeah, it depends on the class. Okay. So for my blueprint reading class, that class is taught in a classroom. It's not in the shop. And so for my blueprint reading class, my students learn the basics of how to put together a bill of materials, how to dimension, what tolerances mean, um, structural steel shapes, how to put together a blueprint, how to read a blueprint. Um, oh, okay. So that's focused on a lot of theory an application of that and then for my beginning TIG class students have to pass off plates and so there's butt joints there's T joints we work primarily with steel and aluminum in that class and so they have to learn and pass off different techniques on different plates and then in my fabrication class we worked on a community service project this past semester um, we built four bike racks for proper brewing here in Moab and that taught my students the basics of dimensioning, using basic shop equipment like band saws and angle grinders, welding, finishing, cross-squaring, um, layout, clamping. Mm -hmm. And so that laid a really good foundation for fabrication. 
and then these students were able to work on their own projects for the rest of the semester. So one of them just finished a rack for firewood. One of them built a little cowboy penguin sculpture that okay. was really cute. Okay. One of them is working on a custom bumper because he's redoing a Mustang right now. So the possibilities are endless for projects they can work on in that class. Oh, wow. And what about artists? How, what has the reception been from the artist community? Good question. Um, ever since the inception of this program, since I got here, Moab, people that we've been in touch with and that have been interested in, the, in this program have expressed a lot of interest in artistic and sculptural welding. I'd like to connect with more artists here in Moab. Unfortunately, I haven't been able to connect with too many at this point, but I would really love to, especially for a welding sculpture class in the fall. I'd like to draw on insights that they have about the industry here, their experience building art like art with artistic and sculptural welding so but yeah moab is a very artistic and creative community oh, it's yeah, a really yeah. unique community and so there's a huge demand here for artistic and sculptural welding and people are interested oh yeah well look at our art trails yeah. that michael dutton and christy williams dutton have done for years here that that's an amazing program that's yeah. offered yeah it's absolutely incredible and it really enriches moab makes it a beautiful place to visit. Now you have all this specialized equipment here that probably costs a fair amount of money mm -hmm. and there are many of the artists in town would probably love to be able to use this equipment but is there any way that the Utah State can make these facilities available at different times other than their class? Yeah, great question. So we've, we're working on creating more community workshops, mm -hmm. and that, that's the best way for people who are interested in the arts and sculptural welding and learning the basics of welding, but maybe don't have time to take an entire class or commit an entire semester to it. Our community workshops are a great way for local artists to come in here and have access to welding equipment and build stuff in here. Oh, and what, when are those? Are they scheduled? Yeah, so our next Women in Welding and Community Welding workshops are scheduled for September. Uh, so tell, me, uh, tell me about the upcoming classes. It, it's now, um, we're late April. Mm -hmm. What is coming up May, June, July, and into the fall? We won't be teaching summer classes here in Moab. My husband and I are going down to Blanding and we're okay. helping them set up their new welding shop there. Oh, okay. And then in the fall semester, I'll be teaching beginning TIG, beginning MIG and flux core, and then sculptural and artistic welding. My background is primarily in welding and fabrication. That's what I specialize in. Um, and so on that side, what we'll be teaching in the class is plasma cutting, oxyfuel. We're planning on having some forging in that class teaching basic metallurgy, and then students that come here can create their welding sculptures with any welding process. So students can use TIG, MIG, flux core, or stick, depending on what they want to learn more about and what they want to focus on. And then... Uh, now, basically, you've, you've just used all these acronyms that I have no idea. Mm -hmm. STIG, TIG, this, that. They'll be able to fabricate something in different metals? Yes, so students will be working on various projects. Some of the ideas that I've had are lanterns with cutouts with plasma cutting, um, found object sculptures. Students will be able to bring in their own materials and build sculptures with found objects. Oh, okay. Hardware, okay. Um, potentially silverware. 
Oh, okay. So there's a whole variety of things that people can do in this class. Yes, absolutely. And I'm hoping to partner with some local artists and have them either come in and do demonstrations or present or tell us about what they do um, to enrich the program in the class and get insight from local artists here in Moab. Can any of this stuff be taken off-site so yeah, that you absolutely. could do a demo, like at the mark? I hope so. Yeah. I'm in my classes this semester my students have been able to take field trips that I've set up with local shops and I'm hoping to do at least one or two of those for the sculpture class in the fall. Okay. And I'll be I'll be watching and encouraging you and this university to work with artists, local artists. There's so like you had said there's such a uh, a vast community here of artists and I know because I've spoken with some some of them about this class and mm-hmm. how much they were looking forward to seeing what was going to be offered in, over the coming months. So how do people get in touch with you if they want uh, more information? So my email is chloe.wilson at usu.edu. Wait, Chloe- you, and Chloe is C- C-H-L-O-E. Okay. You can also reach out to moab.tech at usu.edu for general information about our tech programs. And also, Rachel Stenta, our CTE coordinator, manages that inbox. And she'll be able to give you information on our welding program and any other technical education programs here. Okay. Well, I want to thank you, Chloe, for talking with us here on KZMU today. And I'll be... uh, watching what what comes out of your program. Thank you so much. Well, that was Chloe Wilson, uh, the new welding instructor down at USU. Hopefully, this program will lead to, um, or these classes will lead to other arts-related offerings from the university. I want to thank my guests today, Maggie McGuire and Chloe Wilson, for joining us here on Art Talks. Please join me next time on May 15th at 4 p.m. and we'll be talking about the Moab Art Festival and hopefully we'll be doing a few fun things like man-on-the-street interviews. Thank you again. This is Richard Codd for Art Talks. You can hear Art Talks on the airwaves at KZMU every third Monday of the month at 4 p.m. 